shortly after being installed as the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a sermon in November of 1954 entitled Transformed Nonconformist. And this is what he said as part of that sermon. The Christian is called upon not to be a thermometer conforming to the temperature of society, but he must be like a thermostat serving to transform the temperature in that society. I have seen many white people who sincerely oppose segregation and discrimination, but they never took a real stand against it because of a fear of standing alone. And then he challenged the congregation by saying, are you willing to stand but to stand alone? On December the 1st, 1955, a transformed nonconformist boarded a Cleveland Avenue bus just five blocks from the pulpit where King delivered that sermon. When the white section filled up with passengers, the bus driver ordered Rosa Parks to give up a seat in the coloured section. Rosa very politely refused to do so. She took a moral stand by remaining seated. She said later on, our mistreatment was not right. I was just tired of it. It wasn't a physical tiredness. It was a moral tiredness. The only tired I was, was tired of giving in. See, Rosa Parks's stand against the racial segregation started having a ripple effect in her own community that led to a court battle and led to a citywide boycott, which led to the Supreme Court ruling that segregation was unconstitutional. Rosa Parks got it. She understood what was happening. She understood her identity and she understood what she had to do in order to fight the injustice that she was facing. In this series, when we're looking at unity under the title In Sync, I think it's fundamentally important that we realize that unity within the church isn't just a social issue. It's a theological issue. And we started the journey by going all the way back to the original design of what God wanted to see in this world. God, who himself is relational as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, created in his own image, mankind, man and woman, wanting to be in perfect harmony, in a perfect relationship with him and in a perfect relationship with one another. But Satan came and short-circuited, destroyed the original design and sin entered the world and started causing havoc, both in terms of the relationship with God, where shame came in, but also a whole host of sinful attitudes. And we saw in Cain and Abel's story how jealousy and anger and envy ended up leading to murder. And therefore, the relationship with God and the relationship with one another were destroyed by sin. So, so what now? What hope is there for us? As I was saying to you, Unity in the church isn't primarily just about a, a sociological issue, about getting on with one another and having all sorts of rules and compromises, but it is a theological issue because I really believe that the game changer was Jesus coming into our world 
incarnate, the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And through his teaching, through his life, through his death and his resurrection, he created a seismic shift that actually made reconciliation in human relationships possible as much as a reconciliation with God. So this was the game changer, Christ coming into our world and doing something that hadn't been seen before. And this is the beginning of the greatest restoration project the world has ever seen. Now, the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to the believers in Ephesus. Ephesus was uh, a city in modern day Turkey, very cosmopolitan, polytheistic city filled with gods, filled with uh, an absolute mashup of culture, being a very well known trade route. It was a mixture of everything, philosophies, lifestyles, paradigms of life different ways of thinking, and they were all put into this melting pot. Yet in this significant city in Ephesus, there was a significant church. And the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage this church, these believers, and he's trying to remind them of the incredible new identity that they have in Jesus. And this is what we're going to explore about God's work of redemption, reconciliation, restoration that happened through Christ. So if you want to follow with me, I want to encourage you to open in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. This is what Paul is writing to this significant church in a very significant pagan city, trying to remind them of their identity in Jesus. And I believe this is absolutely the foundation of healthy relationships, both in the church and outside. This is what Jesus had done. Therefore, he says to them, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the human body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without any hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is held together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. 
And in him, in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, that sounds like a mouthful, but actually it can be made very simple as we understand what Paul was trying to say. The first thing that he says is there was a point in your life when you didn't know Jesus, when you were outsiders. And he's talking to the Ephesians who were Gentile and who were different than the Jewish people. And he's basically reminding them that actually when they were Gentiles by birth, they were outsiders because the Jewish people were recognized as the only ones who had the opportunity to have a relationship with God through the covenant. And they couldn't have that because they were not born Jewish. And he's highlighting that by saying to them, remember that formally, so before you knew Jesus, before you encountered Jesus, before you accepted Jesus into your life as your savior and as your king, you were Gentiles. And before that, basically you were out. You were not in. And the way he's expressing it by creating this contrast between the Jews and the Gentiles is using circumcision, which would have been the symbol through which it's the badge of honor of somebody who is a Jewish person. It's a recognizable physical sign that they are part of the Jewish nation. And he's saying you're not you're not in because you're not circumcised. You're not in, you're outside. And then he's saying to them, you're also not citizens of Israel. So you have no identity, spiritually speaking. You're not circumcised and you're not citizens. And therefore you have no claim. Just in the same way, if I was to try to enter a country without having the suitable visa or the suitable passport, I couldn't get in because I am not entitled. This is what Paul is saying to the Ephesians. Remember, you were like that before you knew Jesus. You had no privilege. The way he describes them, he says you were foreigners to the covenant. The covenant, if we go all the way back to Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, there's a covenant that God makes with Abraham and therefore after that to everybody that comes from Abraham and the Jewish nation by extension. And that's a set of promises. The covenant is an agreement filled with promises and conditions. But there are incredible promises that come with that. And Paul is saying, you are Gentiles. You haven't got that. You're outsiders. You are not Jewish, you are not circumcised, you are not citizens of Israel, and therefore you have no part in the covenant. You're excluded. You're outsiders. And then he says, you have no God. Therefore, there's no relationship with God. It isn't just the fact that they racially didn't belong to the Jewish people, that in terms of a nation, they didn't belong to the Jewish people. In terms of the circumcision, they didn't belong to the Jewish people, but also, they had no access to that special relationship with God that actually did come through the covenant. And then he's ending up with this punchline by saying, you have no hope. Without Jesus, we had, as Gentiles, Ephesians, would have had absolutely no hope, spiritually speaking. They were total outsiders. And then comes an incredible shift. In verse 13, there is real shift that is happening here because Paul is bringing this but which is a game changer which is a real radical opportunity in here and he says because of Jesus you who are Gentiles who were once outsiders 
when Jesus comes into your life, there's a radical change. And he talks about being brought near. And this gets even better. You are actually citizens and members of God's household. So everything that you were not before Jesus, when you were excluded because you were not circumcised, you were not Jewish, you were not part of that covenant relationship. Now, through Jesus, you're being brought near and you have become citizens and members of God's household. But the key, it is conditional. Look at verses 13, 17 and 18 and 20. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, those who were excluded, those who were outsiders, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, in Christ Jesus, by the blood of Christ. And then look at verse 17. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And then right at the very end of verse 20, it says, Jesus Christ himself is our cornerstone, the cornerstone of that building. So the crucial factor in really experiencing this transition from being an outsider to being an insider, it is conditional. It is in Christ. It only happens through Jesus and in Jesus. And you might say, well, how does that happen? And again, the two key references in verses 13, 16 and 18 are, are simply this. Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you how this is happening. In verse 10, he says, now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near, underline this, by the blood of Christ. So Paul is reminding them of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when the Ephesians who were once outsiders are asking, but how can we be brought near? How can we get to belong? How can we be able to be insiders? How can we be citizens and members of God's, God's household? He's saying it's because of the cross. It's because of the blood of Christ that was paid for the forgiveness of our sins. But then he's expounding on this and he's reminding them that we have access to the Father by one spirit. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Again, built on Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. It all happens through Jesus. Jesus is central to this transformation from being an outsider to becoming an insider, to being included in God's family, to being part of God's people. It is through Jesus' death on the cross that this is now becoming possible. And how does this happen? Well, it happens because Jesus, look at verse 17. He says, Jesus came and preached peace. Jesus came and preached peace. Jesus's desire was to bring people together. And again, he's, he's reminding them how, how this is happening, saying in verse 22, in him, you two are being built together, the two. The two are joined together and being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. Paul is saying this is about 
people who were once far away from God and divided and at enmity with each other. Through Jesus' death on the cross, they're being brought together. The Jesus who dies on the cross, but the Jesus who also preaches the peace. And there's a beautiful way in which he explains this in verse 14. He says, Jesus himself is our peace. For he has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. That's what Jesus comes to do. To take people who are outsiders and make them insiders. He does it through his death on the cross. He is the one that makes it happen. It's not a man-made effort. It's not as if somebody is coming, Jesus coming and preaching at us or to us saying, guys, become better people, love one another. He does say that, but it would be futile. It'd be incredibly frustrating because we could never live this life. We can never be renewed. You could never have somebody to be able to put into practice what Jesus was teaching and preaching, saying, love your enemies. Unless we were able to identify ourselves with him and become his people. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, look, remember. Remember your identity. Remember that you were once far off. Remember you didn't belong. You remember you were outcast. Remember you didn't have access to God. You didn't have access to hope. You didn't have an access to the covenant. But because of Jesus, now you have everything and the one who himself is our peace is also the one who gives us what Paul calls in another letter that he writes to the Corinthians this time the ministry of reconciliation what God had done to us through Christ God is calling us to do through Christ through the power of the spirit towards those around us as we connect with them in these situations. So the outsiders, Paul is saying, suddenly become insiders because of the work of Christ on the cross, because of the blood that he shed, and because he, the one who is our peace, had come into our world to do exactly the same thing. So what do we do with this in terms of our church life and in terms of the impact that we have in our community? And again, Paul is very helpful in giving us some guidance in the things that he writes to the Colossians, in, in Galatians, in Galatians 3, verse 26 to 28, he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there any male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying this time to the Galatians, he's saying, look, through Jesus' sacrifice, you have become the children of God. So that's the first relationship that gets sorted out. You are reconciled to a God that you've betrayed and sinned against. And through Jesus' death on the cross, now it's possible your vertical relationship is possible to be sorted. But not just that. Once you're baptized in Christ and clothe yourself with Christ, and this is all about identity identifying yourself with Jesus, making Jesus an absolutely indivisible part of your life. Baptism is about identification. Being clothed is that sense of daily making sure that Jesus lives 
in us and through us. And when we are like that, suddenly the walls of division that are very human but wrong, the division between Jew and Gentile, and that has to do either with religion or race. Slave or free, having to do with the economic status of different people, male and female, the gender conflicts that can be there. Paul is saying they're gone because you are one in Christ. So the unity that is possible for us, it's rooted in the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And it's rooted in the fact that we are indwelt by Jesus's presence. If we simply try to rely on our human abilities to try to achieve that unity, we will fail miserably. But if we surrender our lives to him and allow him to live through us, we are likely to see unbelievable marks of unity never seen before because God is at work in us and through us. I love the way Canadian Ken Shigematsu puts it. He says we become an instrument of reconciliation in the world when we are reconciled to God. We become an instrument of reconciliation in our world when we are reconciled with God. And therefore my my strongest encouragement I want to give to you is about that reconciliation with God. And I want to say maybe you've never taken this step to reconcile yourself with God. This is the perfect moment. It's the beginning of a new opportunity to a new life. By making sure that, that vertical relationship, the breakup between God and you gets sorted out. And maybe it's something you've never done before or maybe you've had a relationship with God but Things have gotten all messed up over the years or over the last few months and you've gone far away from him. And if you were to be honest right now, you'd say to me, Christy, I, my relationship with God isn't great at the moment. What a wonderful opportunity to come back to him. Because that's the key to all of our relationships. If we get the vertical right, we're very likely to get the horizontal right too. So I want to call you to be reconciled with God, to come back to God or to come to God for the very first time. And you can simply do it as soon as this service is finished. Just get down on your knees. If you're with somebody else, maybe you want to pray with them. If you want to do it alone, you can do it alone. And if you would value some support in, in your decision, we'd love to hear about that. It'd be great if you could get in touch. We need, in order to have unity in the church, to have a great relationship with God. And we need to surrender to his kinship in our lives. Most of the time we fall out with other people and we end up hurting other people because we're not submitted to the king. If Christ was to live in me, it would be very difficult for me to hurt other people because the Jesus in me would never do that. It is when I withdraw myself from under his authority and I start living my own life and I start doing what I want to do and I relinquish his right to lead my life. It's then when I step into hurting other people. So maybe this is a great time to come back to him and to call out and say, fill me with your spirit, Lord. 
fill me with your spirit so that what people encounter when they meet me isn't me but you in me and this is a life of surrender that is continuously happening what really helps as well is being shaped by God's word as much as my heart and mind take in his word the more likely I am to have my mind renewed and therefore my words my attitudes be totally changed in the likeness of Jesus so I'm encouraging us all whether for the first time or whether for the umpteenth time to come to him to reconcile with him and to ask him to come and take over our lives so that actually our sense of unity is enhanced because we surrender to him let's ask ourselves what does it mean in the current context of divisions in our society who should we be as the followers of Jesus if the apostle Paul is saying in a, in a radically divided society both in terms of gender race and social status there are no divisions anymore the walls have gone down you are all one in Christ what does that mean for us as a community of believers I remember talking to a good friend of mine recently and we were talking about values and culture and one of the things that he said to me he said we we have in our family opportunities when at times we would simply say we and he would use the family name we just don't do that or if it was something different good that they would do again he would say we talking about our family we always do that this is what should be happening we as God's people we don't do divisions we don't do hatred we don't do prejudice we don't do anger we these are our family values as believers in Jesus and as the followers of Jesus and as the household of God we do forgiveness we do love we do sacrificial patience that's our family value when Jesus is at the very center of us and you know what how could I be angry how could I fall out with somebody for whom Jesus has died. Jesus loves them so much. How could I not? We need his infilling in our lives. Because this is supernatural. This cannot be achieved humanly. But oh how much he wants to give it to us. You know. This is the kind of people God wants to build amongst us. A people who've experienced that reconciliation that Paul is talking about, where the outsiders are becoming insiders, and people who are beginning to embrace others who are outsiders, who invite them to come and be insiders too. Let me finish with some words from the scripture. I love the way Paul is obsessed about this about Jesus being our peace and he talks about Jesus Christ being our peace in Ephesians 2.14 he says that Jesus had made peace with us Ephesians 2.15 and he preached peace Ephesians 2.17 and in his grace he came with a message of peace when the angels proclaimed the message of Jesus is coming into the world to the shepherds he is the prince of peace 
And Jesus is the one who opens the gate for Jews and Gentiles to be at peace with each other through him as God opens access to both of them for this. I remember receiving from a very good friend of mine, an American friend of mine, a tiny piece of the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall is so incredibly significant about the political breakdown between the West and the East. And one of the interesting things about the Berlin Wall is that it doesn't just it didn't just divide people in terms of a border that was put between the East Germans and the West Germans, but it actually made people physically ill. It was really interesting because psychologists realized that after the Berlin Wall went up, a lot of the East German psychiatrists were observing that mental illness, rage, dejection and addiction were very much linked to what was happening and very much at wide going on in the local population. And the weirdest thing is that the closer the people wore to the physical Berlin Wall, the more ill they happened to be. And the only cure for the wall disease was to bring it down. On November the 9th, 1989, the wall finally fell. And later on in, the, in 1990 and the years that follows, psychiatrists in the eastern side noticed this sense of emotional liberation that happened to the people as the wall came down. Thousands of jubilant Germans actually at a time when it happened, I remember the pictures uh, climbed the wall, they wept and embraced atop of the wall the other people from the other side and proceeded to tear down the wall with joyful abandon. Powerful picture of the damage that walls can do to our lives. But the tearing down of the picture, a dramatic, powerful picture of what spiritually happened at the universal, colossal level through which everything that separated us from God and from each other in Jesus came down. What a reason to celebrate and what a wonderful new life to embrace as we surrender to him. Amen.